You're listening to audio from Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus to impact the world. If you'd like to find out more information about us or donate to our ministry, please visit us at our website at cccfishers.org. Thanks for joining us. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Acts chapter 3, starting at the first verse. But before we read, I just want to... I want to invite you to note how often Luke makes a point of saying that somebody saw, recognized, uh, noticed something. Whether it's the man seeing Peter and John, or John and Peter seeing the man, or the crowd seeing the man. Just notice how many times that comes up in these ten verses. So, starting at first one. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. There he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. There is a term that social psychologists use to refer to the mental processes that we use to form opinions and impressions about others. And And the term is person perception. Most of us would like to think that the impressions that we have of others are the conscious conclusions we come to based upon the character of a person or the convictions of our beliefs about all people having dignity. But the truth of the matter is is that most of our thoughts about people are arrived at through unconscious mental processes that are based upon a number of factors. So, for example, let's imagine that you you decide that you need to have a will drawn up. And so you begin to ask some of your friends for recommendations that they might have about a good lawyer to help you with the will. Someone you know uh, 
and trust refers you to a lawyer who they say is quite adept at this kind of law. So sight on scene, you call the law firm and you make an appointment with that particular individual. The day for your appointment arrives, you go to the law firm, the receptionist greets you, invites you to take a seat in the waiting area and says that the lawyer will be out in just a moment to take you back to their office. Now, as you're sitting there in the reception area of the law firm, and you are waiting on that lawyer to come and meet you, what are you expecting them to look like? Even if you consider yourself an objective individual, my guess is is that you've got some picture in your mind about not necessarily the details of what that person's going to look like, but you've got like how they're going to dress, how they're going to carry themselves, how they're going to interact with you, even, even things about how they're going to, how they're, their grooming practices, right? You're going to have all of these things are going to be in your mind as to what this person is going to be like. We would say that we have a mental model or a perception because they're a lawyer and we, this is what we think lawyers look like and do. So now you're sitting there in the, law, in the reception area, you're waiting for the lawyer to come and greet you. And as you're waiting there, you notice down the hall, a woman begins to make her way to, down the hallway. You see right away that she's dressed in appropriate business attire, right? She's wearing a professional looking tailored suit. She's got a very confident gait to her walk. And as your eyes scan upward, you notice that she has a massive pink mohawk. Now, what goes through your mind? There is no way that that woman is the lawyer. Do you make some assumptions about what that particular person's role is at the law firm? We lost the lights, yeah. All right. We make some assumptions about that particular person's role at the law firm. You may even begin to make some assumptions about the law firm itself for hiring this particular individual. Now, you're sitting there, you watch, this woman continues to make her way down the hallway, and she introduces herself as the lawyer. How comfortable are you feeling in that particular moment? Are you considering the possibility that your friend is laughing their head off at you at the thought of them, or a thought of you meeting with this lawyer? Do you think about trying to get out of the meeting, coming up with some excuse of why you can no longer meet? Are you just going to cancel altogether? Do you, do you ask more careful questions? Like, okay, I'm going to go through with this, but I'm going to ask really detailed questions. And when the final will comes through, I'm going to pour over it like with a fine-tooth comb. Now, why are you doing all of that? All of that is based on person perception. Based on what we see, we make decisions about the person in front of us, conscious or unconscious, and then we act on those thoughts. Another example that I read about as I was reading about person perception and kind of going down the rabbit hole of that this week was, say for example, you get on a bus, and as you get on the bus, you happen to notice that there are two empty seats on the bus. One of them is next to a very large black man, and another one is to a little old lady. You're going to make an assumption about where you're going to sit. And for many of us, like if we just want to be honest, we'd probably sit next to the old lady. But then when we get off the bus and realize our wallet is missing and she pickpocketed us, right, this is person perception. Now, imagine you're Peter and John. You're making your way to the temple. It's three in the afternoon. It's the second prayer time of the day. The first time is at 9 a.m. 
And again, Luke is including these details about them going up to the temple and the time that they're going to pray because he's drilling into our minds this idea that the first Christians really still thought of themselves as Jewish. They were doing very Jewish things, going to the temple, going at the appointed times, praying, all of that. So Peter and John, they're going there to the temple. They're making their way up the temple mount. And in order to get into the courtyards of the temple, they would have had to enter into a gate. Now Luke tells us that they enter into the gate called Beautiful. Scholars are not 100% sure about what gate this is referencing. It might be this particular gate. There should be a picture that pops up right here, which is known as the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate or the Shushan Gate. Very likely it is this gate. But on the other side of this gate, just inside of the temple, there was another gate that would have separated the court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. And it's possible it's that gate as well. But we'll go with this beautiful gate just because we have a nice picture of it. So uh, either way, they approach. You're imagining you're James and John or uh, Peter and John. You approach the gates to go in to pray. And you hear a beggar yelling at you. And you turn and you look at them. What do you see? Do you see their ill-formed feet and ankles? Do you see the dirty rags that he's wearing as clothes? Do you see his outstretched hand asking for money? Do you see someone who's brought these circumstances on themselves? I mean, that's not, a, not something we'd like to admit to, but there's, there's truth to that question. It's a question that comes up often. In fact, Peter and John and the disciples asked that question at one point. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples come across a man who was born blind. And do you remember what the disciples asked Jesus when they encountered this man? Jesus, who, who sinned? Was it his parents or him that sinned and caused him to be born blind? You see, it was thought that poor circumstances must be a result of poor choices. And, And we can try to relegate that thought process to way back then, but we have to acknowledge that that, that thought, that, that line of thinking exists right now. We don't necessarily ask who sinned, but we do look down on those who are in unfortunate situations, those who are poor. I mean, be honest with yourself. What's the first thought that you have when you see somebody standing by the road holding a sign asking for help or see someone standing on the corner downtown Indy? For many of us, we have to admit that it's thoughts like, well, if they put as much time into, if they put as much time into looking for a job as they do standing on the street corner, they wouldn't have to ask for money. Maybe if they didn't spend all their money on alcohol or drugs or whatever, they wouldn't have to do this. Maybe it's much more benign and we just wonder, what did they do that caused them to now be in this situation? Now, it's interesting that Peter and John don't ask this question when they encounter the lame man at all. It's as if they've learned their lessons from spending time with Jesus. The blind man didn't sin, and neither did this man. So instead, Peter and John direct their gaze, and they see not someone of a particular circumstance. They see not someone 
who has misshapen feet, they see beyond the rags, beyond the poverty, and they see the humanity of the individual before them. They see the pain of a life forced into begging. They see the suffering of being passed by day after day. They see the indignity of being treated as a second-class citizen. Because don't make any mistake about it, this man was treated as a second-class citizen. As someone who was lame, he was not allowed to go into the temple to worship lest he desecrate it. And now this man is laying there in front of them as they try to enter into the gate to go and to worship God. And they have an option before them. They can either pass by and go in to worship God or they can acknowledge the humanity of this man. They can either treat this man as a gate, as an obstacle to their worship, or they can treat this man as the gateway to worship. See, you can't help but wonder if this man isn't the way to worship God. So often we think it's the gate, right? We have to get into the gate, into the temple, pass through this place to worship God. But maybe this story is helping us see that the way to properly worship God is by seeing the humanity of the person right in front of us. You see, worship is never separate from our care from those around us. Caring for those around us reveals the faithfulness of our worship. I mean, this is the whole point of James chapter 2. If I can paraphrase James, James says it, kind of like this. Listen, you may be claiming to worship with a pure heart, but if you're only offering thoughts and prayers to the poor and to the sick and to the widow and the orphan, to the naked and the cold, then your worship isn't coming from a heart that is alive with the spirit of God. Or to paraphrase the words of Jesus, if you're coming to worship, but you've got anger or a wedge between you and another person, go deal with that first. Otherwise, your worship isn't coming from a heart that has been taken by the hope of reconciliation. Worship is not separate from our interactions with those around us, but is intimately caught up with it. Our worship was never intended to be an only me and Jesus enterprise. Willie James Jennings. <laughs> Told you, you'd hear a lot of him in this series. Willie James Jennings says it like this. The lame man lay in the path toward praise, which is also the path of the disciples. Notice, the path of the disciples is the path of praise. The path that Jesus put them on. It's not separate here. Because he goes on, Jennings goes on to say this. The route was established by Jesus. This man is precisely the person Jesus will see and demands his disciples see. Peter and James find themselves without an option. Time to see with the eyes of Jesus. When Peter and James stop in that moment, when they turn their gaze on the man and they see him with grace and compassion, that is their worship. They see him. And seeing him begins the healing. I'm reminded of the story of the woman who sneaks into the dinner party to see Jesus. 
We don't know all the circumstances surrounding that woman. Some believe that she was one who Jesus had cast evil spirits out of or was a prostitute that he had engaged with. We, we don't 100% know, but we know that this woman felt this deep need to honor Jesus. And she knew that Jesus was going to be at one of the religious leaders' households having a dinner. And this was not a house or a party that she would be invited to. And it's not one that she could just walk into. So she sneaks in. She makes her way over to where Jesus is sitting. And then when she musters up the courage, she rushes to Jesus and kneels down at his feet, takes out an alabaster jar of perfume and breaks it and pours the fragrant contents out over Jesus' feet. And then she she begins to wash the feet of her Lord with her hair and her tears. Now the religious leader whose house they were at, he looks disgustingly at this scandalous show of affection coming from this woman and he begins to think to himself, if Jesus knew who she was, then he would not allow her to do this. Jesus knowing The religious leader's thoughts turns and says to him, Do you see her? Not just her past, as scandalous and shameful as it might be. Not just her breaking social order and decorum in this particular moment. Not her position in society and whether or not she should be here right now. But do you see her? Jesus is consistently inviting us to see the humanity of others as they are welcomed into the kingdom of God. But perhaps, before we can see others in that way, before we can see how the kingdom is welcoming people in new and profound and mysterious and wonderful ways. Maybe we have to be seen ourselves. I think of Peter. Peter in this particular story, because Peter wasn't always like this. Peter didn't wake up one morning as an individual who moved in the spirit and was able to see the bigger and the humanity of the bigger. I mean, this is somebody who Peter grew into over time. We have Peter post-Jesus' ascension, post-resurrection, and he's different than Peter of the Gospels. Peter's of the Gospels was rash and impetuous, and some might even say a little bit defiant. And when I say defiant, I'm thinking of, like, he's just not going to, he's not going to take what anybody tells him, right? He, he's he's, he's going to, he's going to, I'm, gonna, I'm Peter. I'm going to tell you what, what I think and how it's going to go. So when Jesus says to Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times, Peter says, no way. You're wrong. I am not going to do that. And then, of course, we know that Peter does deny Jesus. And to come back from that, to become the Peter we see in the Acts, who is full of compassion and confidence, but but not bravado, but confidence in the Spirit, He has to have the important experience of being seen by Jesus. At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus and his disciples are on a beach. They're all there and they're sharing a meal. And after they had eaten, Jesus turns to Peter and says, 
do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yeah, you know, you know that I love you. And then we get those famous words of Jesus, then feed my sheep. And three times they have this exchange as if each time is covering over one of the denials of Peter. Now what's not in the text, but I wish was in the text is as Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I love you. I kind of wish what was in the text was that Jesus said, Peter, look at me. I need you to know that I see you, that I see all of you. That I, that I, that I see the mistakes that you've made. I see the brashness. I see the bravado. I see the impetuousness. I, I see it all. I see the denials. I see you. And I love you. You see, what Peter needed to realize was that he was the beggar. No, he didn't have crippled feet and ankles, but his heart was crippled. He walked with a limp, which was the shame and the guilt of denying the one that he loved. There was no way that Peter could become the kind of person who would look with compassion upon the beggar and and in confidence say, look at me, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I do have, I offer you. He, 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 He didn't have the confidence to say that if he himself hadn't been seen and hadn't had his own crippled ankles healed. Only then, after Peter was told, you can walk. Could Peter look at another and say, take my hand, walk with me? Every single one of us has crippled ankles and feet. Every one of us has something that is holding us back. For some, it's a habitual sin, whether it's an addiction or arrogance or anger or bitterness. There's something that's inhibiting us from experiencing the full life that Jesus intends. For others of us, it's a shame that needs to be eradicated. It's a self-doubt that's leading to paralysis. It's an incessant belief that we are not enough. All of us in some way are crippled. The question is whether or not we'll call out and draw attention to ourselves. Few of us will. Few of us will because I think ultimately we're afraid that those who we call out to might actually see us. And see us for who we are, broken and unkempt, ashamed and hurting, needy. If we call out, they might turn and look. And if they look, They might see not only them, but God. And and that's much too painful. So so we don't risk our deepest, darkest pains being seen or heard. We, we, We let the darkness hide them and we just sit outside of the temple and we watch everyone else go in. But listen, and if you were here in person, I might say, look at me. The only way to go into the temple is to be seen and heard. The way to be included in the worshiping community is to experience healing. 
to be a witness to the kingdom of God that is at hand is to dance on the new legs that we have been given. This is, this is hard work. For it's admitting our need. For it's, it's acknowledging the fact that there's parts of us that aren't whole. And it requires an immense amount of courage to let people see us. But over the past few months, I have become aware, even more so, I've always been aware of this, but even more so made aware of the damage that can be done to our souls when we keep parts of ourselves hidden. When we don't allow people and God and even ourselves to see those Aspects of our life that are crippled. I've talked about this before, but I want to encourage you again. I want you to think of three concentric circles. Maybe you've got a piece of paper there with you. Just draw and you draw one circle, then another one around it, and then a bigger one. The outside circle we'll call our public life. This is the life that everybody gets to see. It's the one that is... It's the one we're most familiar with. And there's, there's parts of this that are true. I bet most of it is actually true to who we are as individuals. But there's also a bit to our public life in which we put our best foot forward. We want people to think the, the best about us. We want people to see the good parts of us. And we want to keep other parts of us hidden. That's the outer circle, the public life. And inside of that circle, we've got the next one, which is our private life. This is where our friends and our family, they get to see parts of us, right? Again, most of it is who we are as, and it, but it's more real because it's going to include some of the warts. They see some of our impatience. They see some of our anger. They see a little bit of the bitterness. They see more of our hopes and our dreams, right? We maybe don't let all our hopes and dreams go out into public because, well, we don't want everybody to, th- to, we don't want to fail in front of everybody, but, but our friends and our family, maybe we let them see more of our hopes and our dreams, We let them see more of our struggles and insecurities. But then there's an inner life, which is our private life. Or our secret life, I mean. Public, private, secret. The secret is the thing we really don't let anybody else see. And maybe there's things in our secret life that are even a secret to us. Some of the motivations and needs and fears... Maybe we aren't even aware and they're only, only God is present to it. Part of the way in which we are seen, fully seen, in order to be healed is by taking, not everything, but taking things and moving some things from our secret self into our private self. Some of the things that are in our private self into our public self. And it takes, as I said, an incredible amount of courage to do that. But it's in being seen that the right hand of God is offered to us to lift us up and say, Now, 
Now you can run and dance and jump into my presence. You can experience the fullness of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is not just some esoteric idea. It's not a philosophical proposition. It's a reality. It's a reality that needs to be experienced. And it's experienced in being made whole. Of having our sins washed clean. And our true selves begin to rise up more and more to the surface. It's to live with integrity. The way we were intended to be. And this is what Jesus is offering us if we would allow ourselves to be seen. And so my, courage, my, my encouragement to you is to begin to move something from each of those categories out. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And in a way, acknowledge that we're the bigger. These are my broken ankles. These are my lame feet. This is where I can't walk without limping. Will you help? And in being seen, we find healing. And in being healed, we can heal others. And together, we dance and we jump as our act of worship, as we witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have seen us that you have seen us in the plight of our own sin. You have seen us in the miry pit and you have lifted us out. You have seen us begging outside of the temple courts and you have healed us and brought us in. You have seen us in our shame and restored us You have seen us kneeling at your feet and given us dignity. Lord, we give you thanks. May we be a people willing to be seen so that we might be healed. And from our place of healing, give witness to the salvation and the restoration offered in Jesus Christ, inviting others to experience what we ourselves have been have experienced. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.